welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 82. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week, I've been playing Death's Door, a new isometric action adventure indie that's had a terrific launch, plus also Grime, a Metroidvania Souls-like, so both are great indie hits this summer. Plus, I've also been checking out Pokemon Unite, a new MOBA from the Pokemon Company, and Tencent, so it's a jam-packed show. As always, let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Now, I'm good this week, although unfortunately I didn't get an invite for the Halo Infinite technical test that happened last weekend. But fear not, I think there's more tests coming, plus we've got that beta too. So I'm determined to get in by hook or by crook. You know, I really, really can't wait for Halo Infinite. And seeing everyone play that technical test, plus the great initial reception, has really set the hype levels rising. I can't wait for that release date, whatever that may be. So with that in mind, later on in the show, I've gathered together some information about Halo Infinite so we can all get hyped together. Well, before we get into the show, I wanted to plug the podcast Patreon, and you can send in your questions, your stories for community questions, by signing up to Patreon, and for as little as $2 a month, which is less than a cup of coffee, you can sign up to become a patron, and we can access exclusive Discord rooms, send your questions and your comments to be read out on the This Week in Video Games podcast, and also access exclusive content and early access too. There's plenty of benefits over there on Patreon, plus you get to support the show and help This Week in Video Games become a little bit more self-sufficient. Well, that is it for my shameless Patreon plug and my waffly intro, but let's check out what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been playing Death's Door, so I'm slightly late to the party on this one, but it's shot right up there to near the top of my best games of 2021, and this one is a Zelda-like, so if Link was a crow, that is, and I'll bring you my thoughts on that one first up in the show. But my one tip for this week is you've got to go out there and try Death's Door. It's super fun but more of that in a minute. I've also been playing Grime, another fantastic indie game. As I mentioned in the intro, it's a Metroidvania Souls-like. It certainly sounds like a combination of words that's been used a lot, but Grime, it feels great. Not quite on the level of Hollow Knight, but satisfying all the same. Plus, you've got a black hole for a head, which isn't an everyday occurrence. Well, finally this week, I've been checking out Pokemon Unite, and this is a new MOBA from the Pokemon Company and Tencent. So if you think about it for a little bit, Pokemon and the MOBA style of gameplay fit really, really well together. I'm really surprised how much fun this game is, as well as the polish. Yes, there's plenty of microtransactions here, but it is a great game solo or online with friends. Well, that is a rundown of the show today, plus I'll get everything we know on Halo Infinite so far. But first up in the show, let's check out my review of Death's Door. Death's Door is a great new indie title and another that has taken the world by storm. So this one is nice metric Zelda-like with elements of the Souls genre, plus there's plenty of secrets to discover too. It's come out of the blocks at a furious pace, and it's definitely something you should be checking out on PC or Xbox. Well, in Death's Door, you play as a small crow working for the Reaper Commission by harvesting the souls of the living. Unfortunately, you've been sent on a task to collect a particular soul and then it's been stolen from you, so you're led to the undying realm on a hunt to retrieve the stolen soul to reach death's door. And to unlock the famous death's door, you need three powerful souls, and therein starts the adventure. 
Well, Death's Door looks similar to something like Hades, but the camera angle and the action is the only real comparison. You know, this is much more of a traditional adventure game where you explore, you fight, you collect items, and you lose yourself in the gorgeous and stylized environments. Like you've got graveyards, there's ruins, and there's mansions too. Complementing the action, there's plenty of puzzles to solve, which include things like hitting switches or gathering keys and opening gates. And the balance of the puzzles is really, really good. They start out fairly simple and they get progressively harder, but they're never too tricky and make you want to bang your head against that wall. So kudos to the developers here. They've done a really great job with that balance. The environments in the game take centre stage and you have a bunch of fun exploring the winding landscapes, delving deeper into the lush environments and probably get lost once or twice. So there's a decent verticality to the levels, which offers up a fresh dimension to the gameplay. So partnering with the puzzles, there's also plenty of shortcuts to find in Death's Door, which really gives you the opportunity to replay the game. You know, there's a joy in exploration, which reminds me of something like A Link to the Past and the other early Zelda games. There's a real character to these environments. You know, for example, in the first dungeon, you're going to be taken into a witch's house. It's covered in porcelain pots, and the pot motif is scattered all throughout the house. As you approach the house, you're taught through the gameplay mechanics to break and investigate these pots. And the witch house itself is classically presented in a haunted style. You've got winding corridors and all the rooms you expect in someone's house. Now, combat in Death's Door feels really satisfying. It's something that great indies of the past few years have got really, really right. Games like Dead Cells, Hades and Hollow Knight all managed to nail that feel. Death's Door does a similar job with the combat and the overall feel of the game too. And our little crow can hit and dodge and roll. And it's tricky to block incoming attacks, so combat is often about understanding the patterns of your enemies and moving out of the way accordingly, much like a Souls-like game. So as you progress through the game, waves of enemies get tougher, and this adds to the fast-paced nature of the combat and improves the overall feel of the game. Well, complementing your standard attacks, you've got a few special abilities in each dungeon. So, so these sections are fairly similar to the Zelda gameplay experience where you have a combination of puzzles and magic. For example, you've got switches, which you can activate with a ranged spell, and the magic and the interactions in the game, they're not too complicated, but if you run low, you simply have to defeat enemies to recharge your magic meter. So this promotes using a combination of attack styles and not just sitting back and spamming magic to take everyone down in your path. Well, our crow has got standard attacks and a smattering of magic. Well, there's also different weapons to find too. So you've got a range of weapons, including a big hammer. You've got the reaper sword, daggers. You've got a great sword. And you've also got the rather useless umbrella as well. There aren't any direct weapon upgrades of sorts, but you can exchange souls for points related to dexterity, speed, and also upgrades in magic. So an important part of the battle system is health. And Death's Door does have a rather unique take on the health mechanics. So rather than picking up hearts or health-restoring potions, there's something called Seeds of Life dotted throughout the map. So they range from being right there in front of you to being hidden away completely, so you may need to hunt down the seeds to help restore some of your valuable energy. And it all plays into the exploration nature of the game. There is one thing to look out for. Your Seeds of Life only spawn one flower for health regeneration, so you may have to find another seed and a plant pot if you want to restore it again. Well, Death's Door does have a familiar structure. You know, after going through the introduction and meeting the big crow who successfully stole your assigned soul trying to open Death's Door, you have three options. So you can head north and you'll come across a graveyard which acts as a nice introduction puzzle to the haunted house and eventually you're going to meet that witch. But each area has a puzzle-filled introduction. There you have to solve a bunch of environmental puzzles followed by waves of enemies and then a mini-boss to get into the dungeon-like area. 
Well, the boss fights in Death's Door are a lot of fun and often play with scale of our tiny little crow. So in the first hour or so, you're going to face off against a massive boss protecting the end of one puzzle area and attacks are fairly slow and methodical at first, but you do have to run in there and get a timely thwack in before retreating quickly to jump out of the way of impending attacks from the giant. Lasers then stream from the huge beast's eyes and then you just have to run out of the way of its death stare. As you progress through the game, the bosses get harder, and incrementally, there's more incentive than the last. It's not quite Dark Souls, but it is no walk in the park either. So after these relatively tricky boss battles, it's nice to see and hear some comic relief in the form of NPCs who appear to be trapped in this forsaken land too. So early on, you meet a chap whose head has been turned into a soup pot and boasts about how handsome he was in the before times. And the moment he offers you soup is pretty funny, as our silent protagonist simply shakes his head in a firm no. And you'll both set off on an adventure to get into the witch's house, and then once you're in there, he says, oh, not to worry, you know, you just go ahead and I'll guard the door. And the game does have a great sense of humour, it's subtly done, and the comedic timing should definitely be praised. The game looks great too, you know, it's all played from an isometric angle, and the camera zooms in and out based on the activity at the time. For example, if you're trying to figure out a puzzle, the camera may swing round to reveal a soul piece for you to pick up and then swing back into the right place once you are done. You know, the graphical style, really, really nice. It's kind of a cell-shaded style. The animations are really, really smooth and each enemy has its own personality expressed through its movement, which is really, really great. For example, these shelled creatures who run at you only to bump their head on the wall and flail around on their back. The environments themselves have a lot of character too. I really enjoyed walking around through the piles of leaves in the graveyard, and also our Crow Reaper has plenty of character. You know, leave him alone for a few seconds, his little head will twitch around like a real bird. The audio is worth a shout out too. You know, the general in-game music is subtle and complements the graphical style well. You know, the music could be creepy and subdued, which matches the surroundings, and the music shifts up a gear when you go into a boss battle, and it can really get the blood pumping. Well, Death's Door is a great package. It's a console exclusive on Xbox at the moment, but not available on Game Pass, but I can't imagine it's going to be too long before we see it there, given its critical reception. And it's also available on PC via Steam, and this is one of the best indie games we've seen so far this year. The controls are tight, the gameplay is fun and varied, plus the game looks and sounds great too. Now, the puzzles work really well and strike a really good balance of difficulty, and the only real drawback of the game is the incentive to go back and play it again, due to the lack of variety of loot. You know, otherwise, this is definitely something you should play. Normally, I would say this is a perfect Switch game, but I guess now we can say this one is going to work great on the Steam Deck. Well, the developer was Acid Nerve. It's published by Devolver Digital. It's out on the Xbox Series consoles, Xbox One and also PC, originally released on the 20th of July, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Death Door. Really, really fantastic game. But next up, let's check out my thoughts on Pokemon Unite. Pokemon Unite is Nintendo's first try at a MOBA, and so far it's been really, really well received. This is a 5v5 battle with MOBA light mechanics, and the key to all of this is the 10 minute timer on matches, so it's very easy to dip in and dip out. The Pokemon franchise has been begging for an update when it comes to the battle system, and given Pokemon Unite is free to play, the Pokemon company and Nintendo may have just stumbled across a rare gem of a game. Well, Unite was originally announced back in 2020, amongst all the other announcements with Pokemon's anniversary information. 
Now, fans initially seemed concerned, given everyone wanted Diamond and Pearl remake back then, which did eventually get announced. But Pokemon Unite has been developed in partnership with Tencent and Timmy Studios, and you can certainly see their expertise on display with the free-to-play mechanics. Well, now the game has come out, there's a high level of polish on the game, and it's actually really, really fun, and there's hardly any barrier to entry with the game with it being free, plus the huge popularity of the Pokemon franchise, all of this could add up to a really bright future for this game. So when you first start out in the game, you make a trainer character, and you jump into the action immediately through the tutorial. So you learn about the rules of the game, which is essentially a mini-MOBA, We have to level up your Pokemon through battling other wild Pokemon in the arena, collect Pokeballs that drop and then dunk them into the goal to score points. This is a 5 versus 5 match and the team with the most points at the end of the 10 minute time limit wins. So if you're not familiar with MOBAs, let's have a look at what that means. So multiplayer online battle arena, or MOBA for short, it's a subgenre of strategy video games in which two teams of players compete against each other on a battlefield. So each player controls a single character with a set of distinctive abilities They improve over the course of the game and contribute towards the team's overall strategy. The ultimate objective for each team is to destroy the opponent's main structure located in the opposite corner of the battlefield. The popular games in this genre include League of Legends, Dota and also to a lesser extent Heroes of the Storm. And Pokemon Unite does a great job of simplifying down the rules, keeping things very simple with a defined time limit of 10 minutes. I think that last bit with the defined time limit really, really makes this accessible and is one of the reasons why I think this could be really, really popular. Well, Unite used the MOBA framework as inspiration, but Pokemon are already really well suited to this type of game. So when you first start out, matches will be in the original form of Pokemon. For example, you'll get a little Charmander and then as you progress, you'll gather points, you'll level up and that'll evolve into other iterations of your Pokemon, for example, the Charizard. And basically, you want to get as many points as you can to try and evolve as quickly as possible so you can use those in-game abilities and defeat your opponents quicker. Well, the combination of battles against computer-generated wild Pokemon and the human opponents is a great combination and feels really natural. So you start out with a regular attack, and as you progress, you get two other special attacks, and then you get an ultimate attack, which is designed to inflict maximum damage on your opponents. This in-match progression adds excitement to the matches as you're trying to best to gather as many points as possible to level up as fast as you can while trying to take out your opponents at the same time. Well, the map is split into two lanes, so you've got the top and the bottom. When you start out, you're going to split the teams in two and try and gather the points to dunk some goals and level up your Pokemon. So if you encounter other human opponents, they're going to try and take you down. If they do, or you take them down, then you remove their store-up points and you'll stop them from gaining an advantage. There's nothing more satisfying than taking down an opponent who's got about 20 to 30 points stored up. But if you get knocked out, you're going to have to go back to your starting position on the map. And it's going to take some time to get back into the position. So if you do take a few hits, you want to retreat to regain some HP. And you'll do that either by picking up some health items on the map or by sitting in your goal, which will slowly restore HP. As you progress through the game, powerful Pokemon will spawn on the map worth many more points, and if you can team up to take this one down, then you'll gain a major advantage over the other team, and you battle it out until the timer runs down, but I've also seen a few teams wave the white flag and give up too. So it shouldn't be underestimated how fun this game feels, you know. We've been asking for improvements to the battle system over time from Game Freak, however they keep delivering a similar style of Pokemon mainline franchise game, but Pokemon Go did take the world by storm when it was first released, 
And Unite has the potential to do something similar because it blends the Pokemon franchise with the competitive nature of a MOBA. You know, the battles feel great and it's easy to pick up and it's likely to please younger fans who just want a Pokemon game, but also older fans who may have grown up with Pokemon and have played other MOBAs. Now, it's definitely not as intense as other MOBAs like League of Legends or Dota, which do have the reputation of being really toxic once you get into the upper echelons of the game. You know, personally, I haven't really experienced this toxicity. However, I think it's pretty much accepted and well-known at this point. So players don't have the opportunity to chat in-game at the moment, plus the matchmaking is quick, easy, and simple. Now, I would imagine in the early stages of the game, teams are probably going to get filled up with bots, given the easy nature of the first few games, but this is probably likely to change when you get into the ranked modes. Well, to get ready for the action, there's a decent practice mode in Pokemon Unite, which allows you to play as any Pokemon on the roster. So in the regular team-based modes, you have to own and unlock Pokemon, which you can do so by playing the game and buying Pokemon from the in-game store. So given this is a free-to-play game, there are significant microtransactions, although you don't really have to interact with that if you don't want to. So there is a depth to Pokemon Unite, which is really welcome. So rather than the tired old mechanics of Game Freak Pokemon games, here the battles can range from easy to super hard, depending on who you are playing. So you can unlock up to 16 held items, which can boost your Pokemon stats in battle and can really swing the outcome of matches. So customization in Unite is really detailed too. For example, you can unlock clothing, items and other stars for your trainer. Pokemon Unite's versions of skins is called Hollowware, which acts as a digital projection on the Pokemon to change their appearance. So there's classic outfits and also outrageous ones too. Plenty of styles to mix it up and really personalize your Pokemon. We've got a battle pass as well, which has 90 levels, plus it's free too. There's also a paid premium version, as with other free-to-play games, but the free version comes with a bunch of cosmetic items that allow you to personalise your Pokemon, your trainer, and also level up your stats. So this one is a tried and tested formula within the live service game model and always incentivizes just one more match. So there are events too, including daily, timed and special events, and no doubt later we're going to see seasonal events tying into real-life seasonal activities, much as there's been in other big games like this, like Call of Duty, Fortnite, and also Destiny 2. So at launch, there's 20 Pokemon to choose from, with plenty of room to add more down the line. So you've got five team roles, including the attacker, all-rounder defender, speedster, and also support. And each of these roles play really differently. So for example, Pikachu feels particularly powerful, and also Gengar too, although I'm a massive fan of playing as Charizard. But when you first start, you're given access to starter Pokemon, Plus, there's also five other Pokemon you get for free, including Slowbro, Cinderace, Snorlax, Venusaur, Alolan, and also Ninetales. And you can also get access to other Pokemon through leveling up your trainer and daily login rewards. So with 900 total Pokemon available, there's plenty of opportunity for expansion later down the line. I've got a feeling that Tencent, Nintendo, and the Pokemon Company are about to make a whole lot of money with this title. The reason for this is the whole swathe of microtransactions in the game, now, this isn't a massive surprise given the company behind the game. Tencent has huge experience in making live service stuff, but Holloway is expensive plus the clothes for trainers. You know, it's fairly mind-boggling, but there's always going to be players out there wanting to take up these opportunities. Personally, I don't really get sucked into these financial traps and have successfully managed to avoid microtransactions unless it's a company I really support or a game that I'm playing for the long term. I've skipped all the microtransactions here and I don't really feel like my game time has been impacted just yet. But one of the major flaws of Pokemon Unite from a player perspective is that not all Pokemon are available initially. If you want to unlock them, you have to pay. 
You can earn Pokemon through playtime, but realistically, it's going to be a huge amount of time. And there's always that bait on the hook for buying your way to arguably better Pokemon. So you've got the held items that can boost and manipulate stats for Pokemon Unite players. They're also available for purchase. So there's no argument here. You can indeed pay to win. You know, it's a term thrown around in games, often as an insult, but it's hard to argue against the evidence that we've got here. But taking into account the game's flaws, it's worth noting the context that these flaws are presented in. And for example, the game is free, it's good fun, and you don't really have to interact with the microtransactions if you don't want to. The production value of Pokemon Unite is top-notch, and you have plenty of fun whether you're playing solo or with a group of friends. Well, Pokemon Unite is introducing a whole bunch of new players to the mobile style of games, and if the early success is anything to go by, then this could be a massive hit for all the developers and the publishers involved. So Pokemon needed a kick up the rear in terms of battle system, and this mixes things up just nicely. So the opportunity for expansion and the number and the range of Pokemon you know, that we've got available is absolutely huge. And if you've got a Nintendo Switch and you're remotely interested in the Pokemon franchise, I would say download the game and give it a try. Well, that is it for my review of Pokemon Unite. Really, really good fun. And it surprised me. I was kind of expecting to go in half thinking, yeah, I play a few games and then put it down. But you know what? I've been playing this one over the last couple of weeks. And it's really, really got its hooks into me. and I can't wait to play it even more. Well, that is it for now for Pokemon Unite, but next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, at 10 this week, it's a new entry, so it's Neo, The World Ends With You. Then at 9 this week, it's down 5 places from last week's number 4, it's FIFA 21. At 8 this week, it's the Olympic Games Tokyo 2020, that's up 5 places from last week's number 13. And at number 7 this week, it's Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales, down one place from last week's number 6. At number 6 this week, up three places from last week's number 9, it's Grand Theft Auto 5. And at 5 this week, up three places from last week's number 8, it's Minecraft. And number 4 this week, up three places from last week's number 7, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. And at number 3 this week, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, up two places from last week's number 5. At number 2 this week, it's Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, holding steady at number 2, and still in there at number one is F1 2021. So congratulations to the team from EA, and I think it's Codemasters 2 for that number one spot this week. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts this week. But next up, let's check out everything we know about Halo Infinite. My right, technical test for Halo Infinite multiplayer was live last weekend for Halo fans, with 343 opening up a technical test for players who signed up via the Halo Waypoint website. So Halo Infinite was supposed to launch in holiday 2020 alongside the Xbox Series consoles. However, 343 slammed on the brakes and delayed for 12 months. And looking back at the feedback so far, it looks like that might have been a good decision as the reception so far appears to be really, really positive. Well, today I'm going to gather all the info we have for Halo Infinite and I'm going to be drumming that hype drum looking forward to launching this holiday season. Well, 343 first announced Halo Infinite back at 2018's E3, and we got a much better look at E3 2020. However, the gameplay was met with a pretty poor reception, so it went back into development for an additional 12 months. This was a major blow to 343 Studios and Microsoft too, given that Halo was going to be their flagship title, launching alongside all the new consoles in the form of the Xbox Series S and X. Well, recently, Halo had a technical test for Halo Infinite Multiplayer, which went out to a select number of users, and feedback from that technical test appears to be really positive so far. 
So players were pit against bots in the first technical test. So multiplayer has the potential to be massive for Halo Infinite, given it's going to be free to play. Hopefully this means the audience is going to be huge, which is really important in the multiplayer shooter space, because there's plenty of competition in the arena shooter area out there like Apex Legends, Splitgate, Destiny 2 and also Call of Duty as well. So as well as being free to play, it's going to support 120 FPS on the Xbox Series X, plus the main game will launch on Game Pass on day one. So we want Infinite to grow over time, versus going to those numbered titles and having all that segmentation that we had before. Former Halo Infinite studio head Chris Lee said in an interview with IGN, it's really about creating Halo Infinite as the start of the next 10 years for Halo, and building on that as we go with our fans and community. So multiplayer is looking really, really good. However, let's have a look at the rest of the game. So Halo Infinite is going to have much more of an open world than past Halo games. So 343 says there's going to be a linear story to Halo Infinite, but we saw in the gameplay reveal a huge map with various objectives. So what you saw in that demo that we showed, you've got this map, so there's a huge open section of the ring. As you get to that point in the game, this is several hours into the campaign, then you've got the ability to reverse that whole area and explore where you want to go on the ring, studio head Chris Lee told IGN. So that's what we mean by open and explore different places that you can go to. There's definitely a sense of freedom that you haven't seen before in Halo, and you're going to get to choose your path there. But we do also want to tell you that story. While you're doing that, we want to keep that story moving forward versus like a non-linear story or something like that. So you're going to be pulled into some of these locations as well, which you could say is story-based. It's also what the franchise is all about. So we're really trying to make sure there are things for the Chief to do that reinforce that heroism and the hope he brings to humanity, and those are pretty strong draws around the world, added the associate creative director, Paul Crocker. So the world is going to be more dynamic too, with a day and night cycle, plus we've got wildlife running around that world. And the lead vehicle designer updated us on their plans for vehicles too. So to meet that fantasy of a more expansive Halo, we really needed to unlock our environment artists and level designers to make much more of a complex terrain. So early on, I made the promise to these teams that if they made awesome looking environments, we'd make the vehicles able to traverse them. So we've got dev builds of all the older Halos going back to CE, and this terrain is in order of magnitudes more difficult, and while this caused a significant retuning of the core vehicles that have been in every Halo, when you see the gorgeous environments of Infinite, I definitely think it's going to be worth it. There's plenty of developments with multiplayer and the open world, but there's also new weapons to look forward to. So we've got the grappling hook, and it looks like a pretty fun tool, where you shoot out a shot and can grapple towards enemies, or pull them towards you. It can also be used for traversal in PvE content and for getting up into high-to-reach places. And I've also seen a clip where a player grabs a weapon with it and it looks absolutely awesome. There's another new ability too called the Drop Wall, which is similar to the Halo 3 Bubble Shield, or if you are familiar with the Titan Barrow in Destiny 2, it's very close to that. So there's also a bunch of new weapons, and thanks to IGN for the tips here. So we've got the Ravager. It's a banished three-round burst energy weapon that runs on plasma fuel. Got the Mangler, so it's a banished pistol with a giant kinetic projectile that fires more slowly than the UNC pistol, but deals more damage. We've got the CQS48 Bulldog, a new UNSC riot shotgun that replaces the classic shotgun. We've got the VK78 Commando, so this is a rifle that can go in full auto and is good for mid-long range. We've got the Pulse Carbine, a familiar but not quite identical version of the classic Covenant Carbine weapon. So loads to be excited about there, but, but I have saved one of the best headlines for last, and that is Forge Mode. So Forge Mode is being developed separately by Skybox Labs, the studio that helped out with Halo 5's PC map making tool for Halo 5 Forge. So there's definitely loads to be excited about. So multiplayer looks like it's on track to be a big hit, plus it's free to play, 
and we've got Forge Mode 2. You know, free-to-play plus Forge Mode could potentially put the infinite in Halo Infinite with players able to make content that could last forever. So I'd love to hear what you think of Halo Infinite. Get in contact on Patreon. I'd love to read out your questions or your comments on the show. Well, that is it for everything we know about Halo Infinite so far. Really, really looking forward to Halo Infinite. I can't wait to see the release date. Hopefully, it's going to be coming sometime mid-November, but let's wait and see what Microsoft and 343 Studios say. Well, that is it for Halo Infinite for now, but next up, let's check out my review of another indie hit of the summer, and this one is Grime. Well, Grime is a new Metroidvania Souls-like that combines platforming, action and plenty of secrets. To develop by a small team, this game shows loads of potential. And if you like games like Hollow Knight and Dead Cells, this one could be something worth checking out. In terms of story, it is a little thin on the ground. However, you start out the game essentially being born into the dark, dank world filled with rock people. So two huge super beings appear to be caught in a loved-up embrace. They go to kiss, and somehow you're born into the world. You're human-like with elements of rock, but you have a black hole for a head. Immediately, you notice you're slightly different from the other rock creatures that inhabit this world. You know They're misshapen, they're ugly, and one in particular appears to worship you as a perfected form. So you're taken through the ropes of running and jumping and using your starter weapon, and then it's off you go. So your objective is to battle your way through a series of caves, deserts and different environments to ascend and find your creators. Well, Grimes' environment and visual style immediately catches the eye. Initially, you'll start underground in a series of caves where the inhabitants are disfigured, harsh and hidden from the light. You know, there's eyes watching in the walls and the music is really atmospheric. Limbs extrude from pots trying to grab and hurt you. Rock beings are slumped on the floor, lunging forward with their attacks in a desperate attempt to try and stop you. And it's all really unsettling and quite strange, but it's a really great setting for a game. As you make your way through the caves, at the earlier levels, you meet a character called Yin. So he's a small, disfigured rock being. He lives in the caves and he looks up to you as being a perfect being. The rock beings who live underground appear to be suppressed in some way by those who live above. As you find your path to the levels above, Yin and his friends follow you. And they add an extra dimension to the story, which is really, really welcome. So the environments change fairly regularly. There's a sense of scale and beauty to grime. You know, the map is vast with winding tunnels and plenty of secret doors to find. And the map reminded me of Hollow Knight. You'll start off an area in the dark, but you'll find a purple glowing beacon to unveil the area that you're in, and all the levels are interconnected. There's checkpoints to find, which is really useful because the game is fairly challenging, and you're likely going to die plenty, and at these checkpoints you can level up various attacks, and it'll make you stronger as you go. Well, Grime is a classic Metroidvania in terms of gameplay, and you're going to level up, find new items, and be able to find new areas as you progress. So in terms of movement, it's not quite free-flowing as something like Ori, However, you do have a dodge mechanic, which is really useful in battle, and then later on in the game you get a double jump. The platforming and the movement in the game does feel a little bit limited at times, but ultimately it is quite satisfying, and the verticality of the levels does stand out as a feature as you're going to be running and jumping and trying to work your way through crumbling platforms and navigating through high-speed lifts that will crush you if you take a wrong turn. Well, combat in Grime takes on a Souls-like form, enemies are challenging, and you've got a variety of weapons to take them down. So weapons include swords, clubs and daggers in all different shapes and forms. As well as your weapons, there's a decent parry mechanic which utilises the black hole on your head. 
So when an enemy attacks you, you have to time the button press just right, and the black hole will absorb the incoming attacks and repel against the enemy with a high damage attack. So each weapon has got three stats, your strength, dexterity, and resonance, which is basically magic. And as well as your attacks, you've got a healing mechanic, and you'll build up a yellow-orange meter, and you can refill your health periodically. So in addition to your abilities, you can also absorb enemies and gain new abilities which can be unlocked through hunt points. So each absorbable enemy has an ability associated to them, for example, getting health back, increasing stamina, and helping you find secrets, and so on and so forth. So these additional abilities really open up things and give you plenty of freedom to mix and match combat and exploration styles in Grime. We've got checkpoints throughout as well called surrogates, and they act in a similar way to Dark Souls bonfires. So, so as you're making your way through levels, you'll collect XP, and this can be used at surrogate points to level up. So in a slight difference to other Souls games, you don't lose XP when you die, and everything you collect is permanent, which makes it a little easier as you progress. The currency you lose when you die is called Ardor, which you'll collect as you progress by killing enemies without taking damage. So there's a limit on your Ardor that's set to 100. If you die, you'll lose it, but you can get some of it back if you find the last place you died and collect them from your ghost. So as you progress through Grime, things are getting a little bit tough. That's a nice mechanic and doesn't punish you too much. This is a combination of a Metroidvania and Souls-like, and there's a blend of mechanics from each genre rather than too much Souls. Yeah, it's tough but ultimately pretty well balanced, which feels rewarding throughout. Some bosses, however, are pretty rough when you first meet them, but after a few tries and learning their mechanics, it shouldn't take too long to get past these tougher foes. The boss fights should also be noted, though. They tend to be massive, grotesque beings with a variety of attacks that you'll be dodging and careful timing to make sure you're not crushed in a single blow. These set pieces are pretty much the pinnacle of gameplay and grime and offer up a major challenge, so similar to Souls bosses, you'll be learning the moves and timing, plus selecting the right weapons to go into battle, it can really change the outcome. So parrying comes into the forefront in the boss fights, as you'll need everything in your arsenal to chip away slowly at their massive health bars. Well, Grime has a lot going for it. You know, the exploration, the platforming, it's fun and engaging. There's so many secrets to find, and you're trained early on in the game to check for hidden walls and secret passages. Combat is tough but it's doable, and the environments are varied and really well done, and the game is almost a painting come alive. Now, I understand the team working on the game is really, really small, and I think they can all be hugely proud of what they've achieved. Well, the game is developed by Cloverbyte and Spooky Doorway. It's published by Akupara Games. It's available on PC via Steam, Mac, and also Google Stadia, and it was originally released on the 2nd of August, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Grime. Really, really exciting indie game. And 2021 so far has been a fantastic year for indie games. I would recommend going out there, especially the two that I've talked today. So Grime and Death's Door, two of the best indie games to come out this year. We've also got Valheim, of course. That's been another great hit. Loop Hero, so many fantastic indie games this year. It's really, really good stuff, and it's great to see. Well, that is it for my thoughts on Grime. But next up, let's have a look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. So on August the 10th, we've got a few games. We've got Black Book, that's on PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. We've got Godfall, that's coming out on PS4. And we've got Lawnmower Simulator, that's coming out on Xbox Series consoles and also PC. Then on the 11th, so we've got Icarus, that's coming out on PC and also on PC, Seed of Life. Then on the 12th of August, we've got Art of Rally, that's coming out on Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One and Switch. Also on the 12th, we've got Foreclosed, 
That's PS5, Xbox Series consoles, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, Stadia, and PC. So that is pretty much the full house. Then on the 12th, we've got Nakara Blade Point. That's coming out on PC. Then on the 13th, we've got Hades. That's coming to PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. Also coming to Game Pass, worth noting that one. Then on the 16th of August, we've got Road 96. Really interesting indie game, that one. That one's coming out on Switch and PC. Then we've got Greek Memories of Azure. That's coming out on PS5, Xbox Series Console, Switch, and PC. That's coming out on the 17th. Then also on the 17th, we've got Humankind. That's coming out on PC. And then on the 17th as well, we've got Marvel's Avengers War for Wakanda. That's on PS5, Xbox Series Consoles, PS4, Xbox One, Stadia, and PC. On the 19th, really exciting one, we've got 12 minutes. Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, and PC. Then on the 19th as well, we've got Recompile. PS5, Xbox Series, Consoles, and PC. Also on the 19th, we've got Rims Racing. PS5, Xbox Series, Consoles, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. And then we've also got The Veil, Shadow of the Crown, Xbox One, and PC. Then on the 20th, we've got Ghost of Tsushima, Director's Cut, PS5, and PS4. And finally, on the 20th, we've got Madden NFL 22. That's coming out on PS5, Xbox Series, S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Stadia, and PC. Well, that is it for this week's episode, and if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through Patreon on patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames, or check out the latest on the website. We'll send in your questions, your comments, and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. Well, as always, thank you so much for watching or listening, and for more This Week in Video Games content like this, like, subscribe, and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description. You can follow me on Twitter at TWIVGPodcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon.